I attended a conference at Southwestern Seminary yesterday. It's in Fort Worth, Texas. If you are unfamiliar with the nation of Texas, Fort Worth is anywhere from four and a half to 17 hours away. And I was driving through Fort Worth, or driving to Fort Worth from our area, and as I get closer and closer, if you're anything like me, when you've been in a car for a lengthy period of time, all that you can think is how you want to get out of the car, um, for numerous reasons. It, it may be that you have, uh, you, you're just angsty, it may be because you have, because you drink too much water, or too much unsweetened tea, or too much Diet Mountain Dew, or... or you drink too much water and too much unsweet tea and too much Diet Mountain Dew. That may be the reason that you want to get out of the car. This has nothing to do with my trip back, which somehow took forever. But on the way there, as I get closer and closer to Fort Worth, trying to find my hotel room, trying to avoid the atrocious California hamburger restaurant in and out that has infiltrated our state... I want to get in my room. I want to get to the hotel. I want to check in. Now, I had not booked my hotel room. All that I cared about was being in. And as I get closer and closer, I'm thinking more and more. When I get there, I've got a few things to wrap up. I've got to read some stuff. I've got to send an email or two. And then I'm going to go to bed. That's going to be a fantastic opportunity. I just cannot wait to get in the room when I walk into the hotel, this Fairfield Inn & Suites, in the room that I had not booked. I get there, and I begin to have a conversation at the front desk. And at the front desk, I tell the young man, Hey, my name's Chad Poe, because that's what you need to lead with at hotels. I have a room. And he said, What's your name? And I gave him my name yet again. I said, I may not have, it, it may not be in my name. It may be in the name of the person who booked the room. He checked could not find their name. He said, do you have a confirmation number? I give him a confirmation number. And he said, you do have a room for August the 19th. I don't know if you have kept score. Last Friday night was not August the 19th. And I said, do you have any other rooms? And he said, no, sir, we have no rooms at the end. Knowing exactly how Mary and Joseph felt, I continue <laughs> looking for a trough. I go sit down in, in the lobby after I had gotten permission from Javi because Javi is the one who's in charge of the entire place. And while I'm sitting there, all that I can think is there is that room that I am not in. I would really like to be in because in that room is everything that I need. In that room is a bed. In, in that room is... A charger for my phone that has died six times. In that room is where I need to be, to be in. When we get to the book of, of Ephesians, and especially in chapter 1, we deal with the idea of being in. That God does something for us, that He does something new in us, and that new thing that God is doing is something that we should not overlook, should not... Uh, misunderstand that God in Jesus makes a way for us to be in. Now, Javi would eventually come to me and say, Yeah, I've got one room. You can have it. Someone must have canceled, but I was so grateful to have that. Some, uh, the reason I let you know that is many of you will ask, Did you ever get into a room or did you sleep in your car? I had one text conversation where the person said to me, Are you homeless? I said, No, I have a home. It's five and a half hours away. To be in. 
Ephesians is about us being in the person of Christ and all that comes down comes with that. The letter breaks down in a, a couple of ways, and I don't want us to miss that. In chapters 1 through 3, you see the end of the book. So much so that you can see God, the first three chapters, God did this. And not just this, God did this magnificent, overwhelming, incredible thing, exclamation point, caps lock as the kids like. God did this. Three chapters of the book. Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus that we'll get into in just a few moments. God did this. And then in 4 through 6, we see what we're supposed to do because of what God did. God did this so that you can do this. God did this so that you can be this. Can you believe God did this? I'm not sure what took place for the train of thought of people who are in right relationship with God in the person of Jesus to move from God did this to whatever distorted reflection of that that we see communicated in 2022. Can you believe he did this? Since God did this, you can do this. That's what you get in the last three chapters. Since God did this thing in Jesus, you can maintain unity. Since God did this thing in Jesus, you can have a vision as to what the structure of your home and your, your, your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with your kids and your relationship with your coworkers. Since God did all of this, we have an understanding as to who we're supposed to be and how we are supposed to be that. What we're supposed to do and by whose power we are to do that. Can you believe God did this? Let me read chapter 1. Verses 1 through 14. Don't want us to miss it. And as before I read, just, just hear me. I would encourage you over the next few weeks just to give maybe a couple of allotted times through your week to, to listen to the book of Ephesians in its entirety. Chad, that's a lot. That's 30 minutes. I don't have 30 minutes. Your Instagram would disagree. Your recipe post would disagree. Just to take 25 minutes. Listen, it's 3,000 words. There are apps now where you can listen to this Bible in different versions and different voices. I mean, with me, I sound like a fritter. You can listen to people who sound like they're in Wakanda. It is amazing. Listen to the Bible. Hear what God's... Specifically, chapter 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth, things in things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you believed the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance unto the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. We see in this text what God is doing. And we can notice that God has allowed us to enter into relationship with Him and we can see what takes place when we are in Christ. So just the big idea of our time and text today. In Christ, God has made you a new creation. And he has made you part of a new community by the power of his Spirit. One more time, I'll read through it again. In Christ, God has made you a new creation. And God has made you part of a new community by the power of the Spirit. And we can see, as the text breaks down, we can see why we're new. What has happened so that we can be new? We are new because, one, the Father chooses... We are new because the Son redeems, and we are new because the Spirit seals. Not like, oh, oh, seal, but like a seal. We are new, one, because the Father chooses. We are new because the Son redeems, and we are new because the Spirit seals. God has blessed us. That, that, that's where the text is taking us. God has blessed us. How has God blessed you? In Jesus. As a matter of fact, in these 14 verses that I just read to you, it says something about you being in Jesus or in Him ten times. Over and over and over, this story is one that you were in the person of Jesus. Well, when did He place you in Jesus? Before the very foundation of the world. Well, in what way did He do that? Was this just something that God did in, the, in this cosmic realm? No, God entered into our world in order for you to be in Jesus. God took the death of this world and undid that so that you could know Him and be known by Him. In what way? You are redeemed through His blood. So you look at this text and you can begin to see that Paul has written this letter to the church at Ephesus. And just for the sake of transparency, the church at Ephesus, this is initially more than likely a circular letter. If you're unfamiliar with the circular letter, this was written to one church, and they thought, this is a really good thing to pass to another church. Maybe you've been there. You've got a aforementioned TikTok reel or Instagram post and thought, man, I really want to make sure that my friend Danny sees this because it's about the University of Texas. So you send it to Danny to insult him and the University of Texas. 
You then think, but I've got friends who love A&M, so I'll send it to them so that they will also come alongside of this and insult Texas with me. We pass it on, and then you send it to someone who is offended by everything because we all have those friends, and I really wish they would go away, but we'll keep working through it. You send it over and over and over. It's a copy-paste. That's what you begin to see. This letter is written to a church generally, and it is used in the life of multiple churches. More than likely. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the faithful saints in Christ at Ephesus. Many believe those two words, at Ephesus, were added for clarity later. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. It's weird how this works like this. Grace and peace is how it starts. Peace and grace is how it ends. Just, Just fast forward. At the end of Ephesians, it ends with those two words reversed. This text is written for the church, and we as a people can learn from this text because it is written to the church as a whole. As we mentioned last week, from in our time together in this text, we notice that Paul's letter, according to one theologian, taught deep theological truths about the powers and principalities against which believers do battle. And it was written to the Ephesians, and they're in the thick of that fight. And the same can be said for each and every one of us. If we have felt the weight of spiritual warfare in our lives, we can see that the deep theological truths of this passage can resonate and they can mean something to us because God has secured something in the person of Jesus. Now we get past that initial greeting where he talks about the church and I don't want us to miss what the church is because it's more important than we make it out to be. And when I say church place when you show up at 1027 Dixie Drive, because as much as I love this, this facility, the church is not the facility. The church is you. The church is me. N- not just me, because that would be weird. That's a person. I am a person. But the we together make up this particular embassy of the church that gathers together here in this space on Sundays. We are the church. But it's more than just that. It's more important than just a vehicle for collecting disciples. We are not just a place where we gather. The local church, according to one pastor, is this. Each local church is an earthly expression of the heavenly gathering, which is his personal inheritance. We are the body, the building, the bride of which his son is the head. His son is the cornerstone. His son is the husband. I love this phrase. We are the trophy cabinet of of God's saving grace. And the demonstration of the triumphant wisdom of the cross to his enemies in the heavenly realms. We who belong to the person of Jesus declare, declare to darkness and hell and despair that God wins. That's what we that's what we say. So you get these first two verses, and then you get 3 through 14, and I need you to know 3 through 14 is one sentence. In the original language, there's no punctuation. Nellie and I go walking. Uh, boys and girls are different, and if you maybe you've realized that at your house. If I talk to my boys and I say, hey, well, how was the day? They say, fine. And then they want to punch me or kick me. They want to wrestle. Hey, Dad, let's play hoops. Noli, I'll say, hey, how was your day? 
We're out on the trail. We're walking. We go to the college. We begin to do a, a loop or two. And all that I have to say is, how was your day? And we're good for the next 45 minutes. It is one continual sentence. And it is not only one continual There are no complaints in it. It's everything good that has happened to her. She doesn't talk about the bad. She talks about how, how wonderful her new teachers are. She talks about how much she loved the time she spent with her brother today, which is shocking sometimes. She talks about how awesome life is. She goes on and on and on about how joy-filled her life is. It's a pretty fantastic thing. And that's what Paul does here. So I'm going to read 3 through 4. And I know I read the Bible a lot. And if you're opposed to me reading the Bible, this ain't the place for you. We are very pro-Bible reading around here. I think we read the whole thing this morning. I'm going to read 3 through 14 again. But rather than you read it and be informed by it, can you just celebrate it for a second? Because God's doing some good things that you can't do here. These are celebratory things. Now, I know how introverts work, and you're not really big into, like, outward expression, so I'm going to ask you to lean out of your introversion and into the idea of, wow, can we just be grateful for what God does in this joy-filled sentence that you see in 3 through 14? Let's go. Blessed is the Lord, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth, in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with promise, the promised Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Guys, listen to me. Now, I love it. Five years in, we clap when I'm done. By 2031, you'll be clapping as we go. Nothing, man, what charismatic thing is happening at 1027? We look at this text and we see God doing pretty great things. And there are words that are a tad bit scary for us. Don't be scared of the great things that God is doing. It's written to people who are scared and nervous. It was written to people who were living in opposition of a king just for existing. And, to, and Paul is saying to a church, to the whole church, 
when you were scared and you were overwhelmed because you were in opposition to the rulers of this world, just remember, you can celebrate because that's not your king. We already have one. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. While at Southwestern, I, I got to listen to Richard Ross talk yesterday. Not Rick Ross, the rapper. This is a seminary professor. Uh, he is a legendary youth ministry professor. He's been at Southwestern since I was there. We had a really awkward interaction. He taught me in class 20 years ago. We were not tight. I asked him a question yesterday. Hey, how's your family? His family got, got some struggles they're facing. He said, but the Lord is so good. Within 35 seconds, I had teared up and hugged the man twice. He just looked at me like, you were really, really affectionate. I'm not. It was a really odd moment. But I listened to him talk about, about what it means for students to, to interact with the person of Jesus. He may you want to be a youth pastor to 11 kids somewhere. That's the type of heart that he, he has. But he mentioned in his conversation our incomplete view of Jesus. Because we have a short-sighted view of Jesus. We have a view of Jesus that is, for whatever reason, limited to Jesus crucified. Now hear me, fan, friends. You're not fans. Hear me, friends. We should always perceive Jesus as crucified. The marks of his crucifixion which deal with your sins forever are with him forever. They are. But he says that we have a view of Jesus, suffering servant, bruised and bleeding... And what we miss is Jesus reigning on his throne. 1, 1 through 14 is our text for today. But all of those in hymns that we've read, I want to show you who he is. Chapter 1, verse 20. He exercised the power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, above every power, above every dominion, above every, above every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Not just then, but then. And he subjected everything under his feet. He appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Jesus is, was crucified. And Jesus carries the weight of his crucifixion. Your sin, those marks are there. We read the, they're there. But he reigns and he rules forever on top of forever. And lightning bolts obey every word that he speaks. So when we read through this text about what God has done for us in Jesus, we need a full view of Jesus. One that shows him as, yes, the, our sacrificial servant, bruised and bleeding, but also the one who speaks to hell and tells it to go to hell. That's who Jesus is. 
You look at the text, verse 4 through 6, and we see how we're made new in this passage. The Father chooses in 4 through 6. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us, don't be afraid of that word, to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. We can lose the win if we get caught up in this fight right here. When God predestines in this passage, He's doing a good thing. Let's not make the good thing that God is doing a bad thing because it doesn't make us feel good. God has set salvation into motion. God will redeem His people. God knows everything. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows the beginning that will follow the end. God knows everything. And when we look and we consider what's happening when God predestines, He's doing a marvelous work in each and every one of, a believer, of these believers' lives. The godly, in the Anglican 39 Articles of Confession, written in 1563, it reads that this, this about predestination. The godly consideration of predestination and our election in Christ is full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort to godly people. This should comfort you that God predestines you. Because it lets you know that God has some, done something that you can't. All that it's stating is that God has saved a person who could not save himself or herself. And if you could... So, so back on up. If you believe that you could save yourself, then I need you to know you don't need to be here. You got it. Go fishing. Buy a Magellan shirt. But you can't. Neither can I. And, you, and it keeps packing it with this word grace. That God has done something for us by, in grace. God did not do this because you were awesome. God did not look down from eternity and say, Man, that guy, he really is chemical engineering it up really good. I should redeem him. He's the best engineer of all the engineers. By the grace of God, He redeems those who are far from Him. And that hope is present to everyone who lives and breathes. God is fully capable of saving people who are far from Him. Period. N.T. Wright says this, as, he, as you see in this passage, you'll notice that it moved from 4 through 6 to this place where, yes, God chooses, but He chooses through the Son. He makes us new through the Son who redeems. And even in 4 through 6, we're moving toward Jesus. We cannot understand what God has done for us apart from Jesus. Wright says this, Any picture of God which does not have Jesus in the middle of it is a distortion or a downright fabrication. If your understanding of God is an understanding of God that is a void of Jesus, you do not understand God. Because you can't. You can't. Our understanding of God comes in and through the person of Jesus. And we see that it is the Son who redeems. King Jesus who redeems. This Jesus that we talked about earlier who took our death of course but who speaks, and everything in creation responds to Him. 
The one who tells storms to stop and they stop and demons to run and they run. This Jesus. Let's think for just a moment about what God is doing for us in Jesus. In this big story that he's telling. Step back and consider. God is doing a work. Where is he doing that work? He's doing that work in and through Jesus. In verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's also in him. According to the riches of his grace, grace that comes from him. He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will. All of this is in Jesus. So let's just go to a factory for a second because I know we're factory people. We're just doing a factory. Let's reduce the cosmic work of God for just a moment, just for the sake of understanding, to God being a widget maker. Feel free to insert whatever you want in the place of a widget. In order for the widget to be made, it all depends on Jesus. Every aspect of salvation depends on Jesus. All of it. All of it. And if for whatever reason we step away and we begin to think, you know, I really, I knocked it out of the park the other day. I was really kind to that person that I went to work with. That didn't save you. It is a declaration of salvation. You're not saved by what you do. We'll go to 2, 8 through 10. We'll spend a little bit of time there. Jesus does this work. If our faith is a faith that is short-sighted on Jesus, it is short-sighted on the whole of Christianity. Because we don't have Christianity without Jesus. In Christ, in Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, our trespasses are no more. In Christ, we can pray the prayer that we pray at the end of this service from Matthew chapter 6, where God gives us direction as to how to live. In Christ, we can sing the doxology. In Christ, everything that we do. In Christ, we take communion every other week. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Jesus matters. We then see that the Spirit seals. Not only does the Spirit seal, the Holy Spirit is both a seal and a pledge. God has secured us, and He has made a pledge to us that everything about this world is not ultimate. That the darkness and the despair that you may face, it it does not get the final save because God does. 11. In Him, we received an inheritance. Some translations read heritage, which I also kind of like. Because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will. The book of Ephesians is very Trinitarian. God, Son, Spirit. And we see that for a believing people, we are sealed for the work of God by the Spirit in a dark world to be light, in a despair-filled world to be hope, 
And we are able to be those things, not because we're now good at those things, but because the Spirit seals us in order to do those things. And those are possible in and through your life because the Spirit has sealed you and the Spirit ain't going nowhere. He is for you. You then move to verse 12 where it takes us to this consideration as, as in, interactors with this text. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. We are continual reflections of the person of Jesus. The life of a believer is intended to reflect Jesus. Now, if you read through all of this and you begin to get bogged down with all of the predestination talk and all of the what God has done talk, I can understand that. But the tension that takes place in our hearts is because we live in a world where we believe ourselves to be the point. If Jesus is the point... Let me be gentle. You're not the point. Your opinion's not the point. Jesus is the point. We're not a people who were chosen for the, for the sake of us. We go for the sake of what God wants to accomplish through us. Complete transparency. The overturning of Roe versus Wade was a massive win for life. It was a massive win for us who would have a conversation about what it means to be made in the image of God. There are those who do not agree with that. They are furious, angry, for a myriad of reasons. If our posture is one of arrogance or condescension or fill in the blank, we are forfeiting opportunity to declare gospel witness. Don't run from what you believe. Run to who you believe. Jesus is the point. The goal... Again, we as those who have a relationship with... This is not a political conversation for me. We should uphold life because we want to say this person was made in the image of God. I believe that. But if we treat this as if we have won the Super Bowl, God's ultimate goal is for people who have cold, dead hearts to turn to Him. Please don't abandon opportunity to declare that by choosing to nananaboo-boo your way through interacting with people who disagree with you. Don't miss 
the measured opportunity that God has called you to say that you believe that Jesus matters more than anything. Don't abandon that. Don't forget it. And we can, we can apply that to every political fight we want to have. When we're having conversations about kingdom, and we say to the church, Paul, we, we don't get to talk to Ephesus much. But when we read the book of Ephesians, and Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Caesar's not your king. Jesus is your king. Would we, as Jesus-aligned people, not forget that fill-in-the-blank is not our king? No matter if we like or dislike or hate or whatever. Jesus is our king. And Jesus gives direction and definition as to how the life of a follower of his is to look. Jesus reigns. Jesus rules. This is about Jesus. In him, in him, in him, in him, in him. 13. He does make a cool promise. The kids still say cool? I think they do. In Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the possession... To the praise of His glory. We are people who are sealed by the Spirit and should be seeking in a world that does scream that darkness wins, that we're still sealed by the Spirit. Kids went to camp a few weeks ago. Pretty funny scenario. If you've ever been to Colorado, they believe in their hearts of hearts that when it's 87 degrees that you don't need an air conditioner. I mean, I think because they're all skinny and they hike and stuff. That's dumb. So you had to buy fans. We had lots of fans. And we bought some, and there were some that you could check out from... I'm going to use the word hotel loosely. And I told our crew, make sure you bring our fans back. We bought two. When they unloaded the van, there were nine. It's as if fans had gotten married and had babies in our rental van. But in your room, the strangest thing in our room that I shared with, with Hope and, and Noli and Alder, you know, we put three or four fans around the room and you couldn't hear anything. Everybody's just yelling. Nobody could hear. Everyone's mad. But if you were outside of the vortex that we created with the fan in the window and the fan in the floor and the fan by the bathroom. And if you were outside of this, you could feel the heat of it. When this passage talks to us about being sealed forever by Jesus, 
God has vacuum sealed you. You weren't good enough to earn your salvation and you're not going to be bad enough to lose it. But in this life, like there will be moments for us and you'll feel them where the Spirit will convict you when you are out of line with what God would have a person who belongs to Him to be. So step back towards what God shows you in the promise that He's made in Jesus. Now this text is saying the Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance. It is God has said, you're mine. Until the redemption of the possession. Until I, until I bring you fully to myself. To the praise of His glory. Another phrase that repeats three times in, in these first few verses. Would we consistently bear the weight and responsibility of in a world that has darkness all around us, aligning ourselves with Him? Because make no mistake, in these New Testament churches, we've spent enough time in some of them to know there were people who were claiming to be aligned with the church who would just leave the church. Because they had changed what they believed. Aligning ourselves with what God has done for us by the power of His Spirit. The text is really helpful for us to see. God is the one who saves, and we should thank Him for that because we can't. Jesus is the one who redeems, and we should be grateful for that because we can't. And the Spirit is the one who seals us for eternity but reminds us that we're sealed as a down payment in this life because we can't seal our own salvation. We are people who are made new in Jesus and we've been made part of a new community. I hope our community looks like the community of heaven more like than the community of this world. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for today and your word and the power of it. Father, if there are any in here who don't know or, or don't trust you, Lord, I do pray that you will draw him or draw her to yourself. Because Jesus, only you save. Only you save. Lord, would we posture our hearts in, in ways that look and reflect and resemble you. Will we not lose sight of the goal that you have that we see in the text? The people that you have saved have been, Lord, that we would live in, in a way that says that we, that our hope is in you. Father, I pray this morning for my people, for our people. If there are those who are lost, save them. If there are those of us who are forgetting that you've sealed us, God, draw them back.
We ask it in Jesus' name. If you need to talk to me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room.